Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Jumping back to the Commodores. Did you run their fan club? I thought I saw that. And, I was, you know, I was what, 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 what was all the the totality of what you did related to the commoners? Well, um, you know, just trying to find something to do, you know? So uh, when my guy, I used to go up to the office, uh, when my godfather moved his office from Harlem down to 55th Street in Manhattan between 5th and Madison Avenue, I used to go to the office every day. I was the shorty of the crew. I would run around every time the commoners, when, when, uh, when, when I was too young to drive, Every time the Commodores came to New York, my godfather would send me with them to show whoever was driving how to get around the city. So he'd say, he'd give me the address here, take them here. They got this to do. They got this to do. You got to pick up my watch from the shop. You got to pick up my dry cleaning on the way and then take the guys there. And every time they came to New York, he put me in the car with them. I used to walk over I used to walk over, step over the Commodores, sleeping on his floor in Lennox Terrace at his apartment. Go, here's somebody got something to do here, here, here. You know the city, take him around. My godfather paid me $150 a week and kept the money because he said, I can't even give you that much money at one time. I'm like, yo, what do you think? but you're the boss's kid. You ain't gonna need nothing. And um, yeah, so every time before I learned how to drive, every time they came to New York, I was the guy who went out and showed them what to, you know, where to go and what, you know, where to go in New York. And uh, I did, uh, you know, and then work, you worked the shows. I, I was at the show at the garden uh, that they did with Bob Marley. And, and again, you know, this is just the most creative. Uh, my godfather, along with Frankie Crocker, who was the most prominent R&B DJ in the country on the East Coast, Frankie Crocker had a show on, WW, on WBLS. And Frankie Crocker, my godfather, and the, and the uh, Madison Square Garden Management put together my godfather put together the show, Curtis Blow, Bob Marley, and the Commodores. Now, back then, Curtis Blow had just come out. Rap music was very young. 
And people will go, what the, what are you? And that's the way concerts should have been. So he had the breaks out at that point? He had the breaks out, basketball, whatever. So it must have been like 81, 82, something like that. Uh, Yeah, somewhere around that, before 85, because um, uh, when I got to 1985, uh, I started road managing a young LL Cool J. He was. He started out. I think it was like fifteen with his first record. He was sixteen years old. I had met Andre Harrell from the group Jekyll and Hyde, and he pulled me from. I guess I don't. Again, I don't know how, but he pulled me. Said, "Man, I want you to run out here with my." Because he knew I was with Ashwin and Simpson. So he said, "I got this young kid, sixteen years old, and I need a road manager for him." I was the first person to take LL to Japan. I was the first person to go with LL to London on his promotional tour. And all we did was have press come to the hotel. But LL was 16. I met his mother, his father, his grand, I knew his grandmother. And I was, you know, but I always looked young. So, you know, people always treated me like, a, you know, so one day we were up at Def Jam with LL. I was up at Def Jam with LL and we had something to do the next morning. So I drove him. I lived in Queens and so did, so did he. I took him home in my car one night. Late, it was like 10, 11 o'clock. I said, look, L, you got an early flight. He hated to get up in the morning. I had to beat him up to get up in the morning. Though, you know, the whole kid, they had a, right? I said, look, man, get some rest. We got an early flight in the morning, an early day in the morning. Again, I'll never forget this. I got back in my car. He went into his house. I got back in my car, Scott, and I drove exact. And I, I, again, I don't know how I knew. I drove exactly around the block. When I came back to his front door, he was coming out the front door. I said, Negro, where do you think, where are you going? I just told, you just told me you were going to bed. I drove around the block. <laughs> and he said, oh, Stu, I got, I got to give it to you, man. You got, I said, Negro, what do you think I am? I am smarter than you. You better stop listening. But that was a relationship. I, I brought his first gold record to his house to give to his grandmother and his parents. I was, you know, and this is again, but I'll never forget that night, man. I caught him red hand. I said, Negro, you know who you messing with. I am a veteran. I know just what you, I drove exactly around and the timing was perfect because as soon as I pulled in the front of his door, he was backing out the door, closing the screen door. I was like, Todd, where are you going? <laughs> Get your <laughs> but on the we had to play father, you had to play production guy, and um did he know, have on his Kango hat? Kango, this is right after the movie Crush Groove. Yeah, he was the star of that movie. And you know, I was with him. His he was the first guy who had a love, a raps love song with I Need Love. And he asked me one day, what was, what was the, the attraction? 
And I said, well, you know, uh, L, when a girl walks up to run DMC from run from run DMC, they don't want to sleep with him. They want to sleep with you. You the sex, you the sex symbol of rap right now. They not trying to run DMC the sex symbols. You the sex symbol of and, rap right and, now. And it sure ain't the fat boys. Yeah. And it ain't the and the fat boys <laughs> were, you know, they were beef, they they had beef with us. They were, you know, yeah, man. So um from the time he was 16 till he was 18, I was his tour manager. And when he turned 18, all of his contracts became null and void. So he threw the Russell Simmons contract, he threw it on my desk. He said, man, read this. What do you think I should do? I was like, well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is I'm not going to get killed telling you anything. <laughs> because right now you're free. You can go anywhere and do anything you want. Or everything you signed up until now is gone. The contract was about... And he signed with Russell a 10-album deal. Wow. And the rest, is, the rest is history, man. So he and I, you know, kind of grew up together a little bit. You know, I was first person to take him to Japan. Uh, it's the first time I ever seen Japanese people with dreadlocks and hip-hop, you know, in hip-hop style. And I got my name on the wall of some clubs. In Japan, I can't remember the names. You know, we just wrote our names. So, hey, we LL Stu was here, you know. And I was the first person to take him to London. And all we did was sit in the room, hotel room for three days and have all the, um, the press come to us. And then we would go hang out. Was he a funk fan at all? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I took him to an Ashford and Simpson show. Uh, after I got away from him, I, I took him to an Ashford and Simpson show. And he was blown away. He was blown away. And uh, I believe, you know, uh, out of that, out of that era, the three most famous rappers to this day, four that have started out because when we were growing, when when I was doing LL, the. Uh, Security was the, the the cops would be at the at, at the at the gateway of the plane at the planes that we were getting off of because we were causing so much ruckus on planes. They would call security on us all the time. So um yeah, man, you know, well, so uh, Stuart, check it out. In 86, I was at the rap fest at Long Beach Arena that had LL on the bill, Brendy MC. Houdini, and that's the famous one where they had the big riot with the Crips and the Bloods, and we had to rush out of there, fear for our lives. We're hiding underneath the bleachers. People were getting hit over the heads with chairs. People were going in the parking lot of their trunks and pulling out guns. It was crazy, man. When I did, I did a show with LL in Arkansas, and the whole show, there was one gang set on one side, there were nobody. There was nobody in the center, and there was one other set. And all they were doing is flashing signs the whole show, like they were going to fight, but they never got to the fight. But L.A., they went wild. Yeah, yeah. I think at least 
60, 70 people got hospitalized from it. Yeah, man. Yeah. And that was the sign of the times, you know, and just those gangs. And I never, I never forget that, man. I couldn't believe it. The whole night we were, LL was performing. These gangs are just on the side facing each other. It was tense. Threatening. It, it was tense, right? Because I, I saw it, <laughs> I, I saw it starting to begin and escalate because I was on the floor and I could see all around. I'm like, this isn't good, man. <laughs> yep, and then I got away from LL when his father, we were doing a show in New Orleans. Um, LL's father had shot his mother in the face. Hmm. And she separated from him. And then uh, we were doing a show, headlining a show in New Orleans. And L came backstage and said, my father's here. What should I do? He was talking to me like, right. What should I do, Stu? I said, well, first of all, that's your father. Right? Then his father started messing with the money, and I quit. Because I didn't want to be involved with with the box office. I I didn't want to be involved. My, 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 My job was behind the scenes, behind the stage. The box office was another animal. And, you know, people were ripping them off left and right. The producer of our show, we had fog machines and all kinds of stuff that LL was paying for that never got used. Uh, we did the Walking Walking with the Panther album. Matter of fact, LL wrote his second album in my hotel room. He would we had single rooms, and he would never sleep in the in his own room. I'd be in my under my covers, trying to get, and he would knock on my door and say, "Hey man, move over." and get on top of my blanket and sit and write all night talking to me. I'm like, yo, I got to, man, I'm, you know, and that, that. Were you still associated with him at all when he had the big uh, Cool Modi beef? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it wasn't, you know, and that was really, you know, and I I remember finding out the story about how uh, the publicist, was taking the photo for the Kumo D album and stuck the Kango underneath the wheel of the, the truck. Right. She did that. Right. See, and that's, and that's the outside influence of beefs. Uh, Mo D would have never thought of that. But the publicist took the Kango and put it underneath the tire of the... And then, you know, I didn't understand that. I, I, I didn't think that LL copied Modi style. He just because LL was writing. They were both. LL really was good. a beast. They were just both good. I mean, LL was a beast. LL was a beast on them lyrics. And back then, they were keeping it to the lyrics and not taking it escalating like it happened later. You know. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, and then um, you know, but let's talk cameo, man. Cameo. Ugh. They just, I remember watching Cameo when Larry Blackman was coming out the coffin. Did you ever see? Remember that? What what year is that about? Oh, shit. This was, again, this was, you know, 80s, early 80s. Uh, Cameo show was very, very Again, um, like the play, like a, like a, right? And 
they had a coffin. Larry Blackman would come out the coffin with the with the fog, the dry ice fog all over the place and dark. And then the coffin would lay down and then it would sit up like this. And he would come out and it would blow the, and it was just theatrics, you know, comedy, theatrics and and video all in one. And and again, you know, uh, Wayne. What Wayne? Uh, Wayne was still in the group. Yeah, yeah, man. And he was, he was, he was the show. You, you um, didn't have to ever like look at look after his cod piece, did you? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I never did. Word, from like word did. on up, word on up. I guess before word up, he started wearing that. Actually. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That was yeah. That was his yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and I, Tommy, Tommy, and I are still good. Keep in touch. I came Tom, on. Tom, I came Tom, on cameo with cameosis. Tommy's another one like Steve Arrington, who's also like a funk historian and such a great crusader for it. Um, when I was in my Godfather's office a lot, Rick James used to call all the time and mess with him about you know who's going to be, you know who's got this and, and who's got that. Then I went to work. Then I went to work for Rick. Uh, right after he got out of jail, I was actually engaged to his sister. And um, I lived in Tina Marie's house when I first went to work for Tina Marie. Uh, Rick was still in jail. Tina Marie had put out Passion Play on her own label. I got a call from a friend of mine who had, you know, who's, you know, worked for these different promoters. And he asked me, he said, oh, Stu. You doing anything? I said, no. He said, well, I got somebody that needs a production manager yesterday. He said, but it's a female. And I was playing around. I said, hmm, I like females. Go ahead. Continue. He said, and she just had a baby. I said, I like babies. Continue. <laughs> right? He said, Tina Marie, I said, book the flight. He said, I didn't even tell you how much book the flight. <laughs> Passion play. It was her own label, her own music, and Rick's sister was her manager. Now, Tina Marie had always been like an enigma. Uh, you know, I, I always heard, I loved her music to death. I had never seen her in concert. She never really came to the East Coast that a lot that I knew of. But uh, when I got to her house for rehearsals, Danny Lamell was the MD. Blow Danny, mm -hmm. right? Um, Jimmy Stewart, different drummers, blase, blase. Um, so Tina put me in the hotel the first two days I got there. So the third day she said, look, Stu, we're more of a family here. I got, a, I got a room in my house. Come on, out the hotel. Come on, let's, you know, commune together. Da, da, da. And Tina and Penny, which is Rick's sister, had babies at the same time. They had planned it to have their kids at the same time. So now I'm on a tour bus running the show Tina and her baby, three-year-old Alia Rose, 
and Penny with her daughter, Malaya, on the tour. I got two now babysitting. And nursery. And living in Tina's house. It's your Uncle Stuart. Uncle Stuart. Plus, I Tina, went must, back, Tina, I, Tina must have had that baby kind of late, though, age-wise. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but they planned it. They took off. They took off time, you know, and Tina and uh, and Penny were, you know, like soul sisters. And um, they all lived together in the same house uh, in, in, in uh, Pasadena. And uh, we, we ran our stuff from her house. And the tour bus came and picked us up from her house and dropped us off at her house. And um, I had to get away. I was going to marry Penny, too, but then Rick died. We did a we did a we did a show at Universal Empathy. Rick had Rick when Rick got out of jail, he went on and did some stuff with the band by himself, some shows by himself. I met them in Atlantic City, and then Rick wasn't satisfied with that. And then he asked Tina. He said, "Let's do." He said, "Can we? Can I do one more tour with you? Let's you know go close this out with a bang." And uh, she said, okay, but then she said, Penny is going to be running this tour. And everything she says, you got to do. So she wrote ironclad contracts, right? So we go to Universal Amphitheater for two shows in L.A. The first show, Rick brings his lawyers to the gig because he wants more money now. <laughs> I Right? Brought his lawyers Penny whipped out the contract. The lawyer said, Rick, what are we doing here? This is, what, are we, what are we doing here? This is, this is, you can't do nothing. He said, okay, I just wanted to see. <laughs> right? But I begged Penny and Tina to let me do a live album. Tina never got paid for Fire and Desire. Rick called her up at 1.30 in the morning to come to the studio and lay down her part. She never got paid, never got credit, right? So now we're doing the Rick James and Tina Marie reunion tour. The Ohio players are opening. We're doing, you know, uh, we do two shows at Universal Amphitheater. And I say to Bobby Brooks, the sound, I said, Tina Penny, please let me set up a recording. We can do a DVD, a live album, a booklet, a documentary. We'll get a film crew. Da, 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 da. They didn't want to pay for it. We did two shows in Universal Theater, Universal Amphitheater, had a week off, and then we're going to Madison Square Garden, felt form. Rick passed away in the week off. How, how shocked were you? Were you aware that he was kind of messing around with stuff again? Or? Of course, of course. He would come to rehearsals, you know, and listen, Rick would tell you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a junkie connoisseur. He would open up a whole, whole ounce of weed. Hey, Stu, come roll this up, you know. But, you know, I just wasn't into that heavy and that other stuff heavy. You know, listen, I, I, I ain't no angel. You know, I've, I've had stuff up my nose. But I never shot nothing in my arm. But uh, and he had a pacemaker, you know, and 
again, you know, it wasn't the best idea, but I was, uh, Penny had taken her daughter to school one morning and then Bobby Brooks called me and said, Rick just passed away. I was like, oh, we had to fight to get to his, we had to fight to get into his house. Rick had thrown a party at his house and he never knew who was in his house at these parties. It was just so wild, right? So about two months later, he found somebody staying in his house from that party and caught her. And guess what he did? Made her his assistant. <laughs> instead, of throwing a call, instead of calling the cops, he made her his assistant. And when Rick died, she took over and all of the pictures in the memorial program were of her and not of the family. It was the most disrespectful thing, you know, but that was Rick's life. Wow. What a mess. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I begged him, let's do, because I was going to direct it. Penny and Tina were going to uh, produce it. I was going to direct it. Bobby Brooks was going to engineer it. And Rick died, and they, they didn't want to pay for it. I was like, come on, y'all. You know, this is, let's, let's do this. Da, 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 let's, and then we, let's go to the garden and record the California shows and record the garden show, film and record it. And let's put it out on a DVD, live album. How, how was his, were you at the Universal show then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so how was his show, though, at that point? We rehearsed. I, I, and, I, and I pulled out all the bells. I had the, I had the biggest mirror ball I could find in LA. I didn't have a lot of budget, but I had the, I found the biggest mirror ball that I could find in LA. I had fog machines. I had police beacons. I had strobes. I had a star curtain. I had all the seventies tricks. So they would come from behind stage in the dark. The mirror ball would kind of shield them from the audience. And then as the mirror ball, and I lowered the mirror ball down to the stage. So as the mirror ball started spinning and lifting up with lights on it, then you see Tina and Rip. Oh. Well, I don't just mean production value. So, I mean, I know Tina still had it up until the end because her last album was really strong even. Um, but I'm just curious how much Rick could still bring it on stage being the state he was in and just passing away a week later. He, he, you know, listen, he brought it, he brought it, you know, the band was fire, you know, Tina and, and he wouldn't let Tina outshine him, but Tina was, you know, Rick, Rick was fire, man. You know, we had to take, we had to take, we had to do weeks off because of his health. He had to get, he had to get into the airports with, with, uh, with wheelchairs you know, and uh, he couldn't do but two shows at a time back to back. You know, we couldn't do three shows in a row back to back days. It was two shows and then go home. Two shows and then go home, let him rest, you know. And, um, you know, it was just, and yeah, man, and we had to break him too. I, had, I actually had to rick him, I actually had his rick him back a brace. You know, and uh, 
I was going to keep it. But uh, I knew his, I knew his brothers, I knew his sisters. You know, I knew everybody but his mom. I, matter of fact, I stayed up in Buffalo with them. He was, you know, listen, Rick, Rick was a Rick, Rick, Rick was a wild child, but he had a heart of gold. Um, you know, and actually, I was he was gonna help me get the wedding ring for his sister. I was gonna marry his sister, and uh, again, you know, Rick died in a week off. Man, I could not believe it. Uh, Did went you to uh, the funeral? Yeah, I went to the funeral, and Farrakhan was there, and I pulled out a joint and smoked it in the, in the at the at the memorial. And Farrakhan's little cronies came out. And what you doing smoking weed around Farrakhan? I said, do you know that Farrakhan used to be a Calypso singer? And you know what Calypso singers used to do? Smoke weed. What are you talking? This is Rick's day. Shaka Khan came to the funeral. A uh, bunch of, you know. Yeah, man. Ugh. Ugh. I was going home. I was going home to Madison Square Garden in charge of the Rick James and Tina Marie show. I had set up all kinds of radio press, all kinds of radio, because I knew all of the DJs from the radio stations. We were going to go to this station and the Quiet Storm show and this show and that show. We were going to go two days before the show and just do stuff around. We were going to go to Ashford and Simpsons Club and they have an open mic and hang out. And, uh, Rick and uh, Rick and, and Valerie's brother Jimmy Simpson were best friends, cut buddies. I had it all set up. I was going to be the king of New York that weekend. <laughs> On a Rick James, I was in charge of the Rick James show coming to New York. I couldn't believe it. And I said, "You motherfucker, you couldn't wait. <laughs> you couldn't wait." <laughs> We got, you couldn't wait. Oh, man, I was coming home to New York in charge of a Rick James show. Uh, if you see, if you go to, um, remember when Sinbad did the funk festivals in the Caribbean? Yep. I mixed, Rick, I mixed Tina and I mixed the Ohio players. They both were on that show. I mixed them both. And if you go to YouTube, have, have you seen that video? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I had it, at one point it was on a CD also. I think, but Penny, Penny, it acts. The, the video opens up with the background singers, and Penny and Val Young are the background singers. How players sounded pretty damn good on that show. I'll play. Listen, I could I could mix some funk music, man. They, you know, it's, I mix the Ohio players on that on that show i wish that i wish that would come back you know i wish somebody would do a festival like that oh yeah yeah sinbad and sinbad loved him some tina marie loved tina marie's drawers he used to always come to the house he used to always see sinbad put us on that show we were supposed to do the olympics in atlanta <laughs> tina was supposed to do the olympics in atlanta and we were on the way to the airport when the bomb hit And it turned around and they canceled. Mm. On the way to the Atlanta Olympics and the bomb hit and uh, 
Matter of fact, let me see if I can see, right? This was a shirt that Penny made up. It's been in the suitcase. This is on one side, under the arm, and this is the back. And this is Atlanta 96. It looks almost brand new. I, I have never worn it. <laughs> I have never worn it. I have never worn it. Yeah. And this was going to be our little uh, group little thing she made up. Penny was very creative like that. Tina Marie. And then Atlanta 96. When the bomb hit Atlanta, they turned us back around and we never got to come. Yeah. Was that 96? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When Tina, when Rick died on the, um, what album is that? Uh, she recorded a song called Romantica. Have you ever heard that song? Romantica. Um, yeah, probably right. heard it, but not sure by name. Okay. Um, I got to I gotta figure out the album that was on. Um, she recorded this song and she said she dreamt it. And it was an ode to Rick. And she recorded it in one take. And the, the line that captures me out of that song is, um, now I'm going to have to sing by myself for everybody. And, uh, you know, and I was in Tina's house. I was in uh, Tina's house when Rick died, man. And, yeah, that, and then I, I couldn't marry Penny after that because she started drinking and everybody just started going crazy. And then Tina died in her house by herself. You know, one Christmas, right before, one, one hot, right before, I think it was around holidays or something. She was in her house and had an epileptic fit and swallowed her tongue. Did she have a history, a history of that? Not since not I, I hadn't known it since I had been since I had known her. She had never had a fit like that. But um, she was home, and and the problem was she was home by herself, mm. all by herself, like Prince. Yep. Well. Um... All I can say is they left us with fantastic music forever. And, you know, it was, and, and you know, it's, it's just such a blessing. Do, do you know if her kid's musical at all? No, she does. She, she, she you know, she does, she, she, but it's not, she, not, not anything she wants to share with anybody, not any career she wants to take up. You know, she saw what, you know, I haven't talked to Alia in years. Um, my email address is stewmaster one and she gave me that name. She said, oh, you're the stew master, huh? I said, oh, that's nice. Okay, I'm going to use that. So in memory of uh, Ali and Tina, my email address is stewmaster1. 
I wrote a funk, I wrote a funk music documentary some years ago, uh, which I was trying to turn into a real, because I had seen the Eddie Griffin documentary on P-Funk and the Nelson uh, George documentary on funk music, mm-hmm. you know, and they left the Commodores out. You know, they they had Nelson George is a, you know, just a media sucked up, you know, but he really didn't know the real story. So his story was, oh, the Commodores went straight, straight from Tuskegee to California. No, they didn't go straight. From, they stopped in New York first, you know. So I had wrote a treatment for a funk music documentary that was going to be all inclusive. Because right now the world just thinks of funk music as Prince, Sly, George, the Isley Brothers, you know, that are in the Hall of Fame. The meters, you know, but then there's all this, like you said, there's 30 more groups that could fill up this Hall of Fame with ceremonies with those groups. LTD. Average white band. Oh, they, oh, Wild Cherry. Let's, so let's talk about, let's talk about, um, you know, the races and the genres of races. You know, um, I have a, I, I'm on Napster and I have a playlist that I call the top funk music songs in history, you know, and my number one top funk music song is Slide. That epic song, you know, Slide is, is such an epic song and an epic creativity. And um, from then on, you know, you got to talk about the LTDs. Oh, let's talk about Atlanta. Mother's finest. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm going to see them this Saturday. Where? They're playing in Kannapolis, North Carolina. <sighs> yeah. But not with uh, the girls. Not there, right? She's there. Is she? Joyce, um, Joyce Kennedy's still singing. Joyce still there? Yeah. Man. Mother's finest, huh? (laughs) They're doing it for like 50 years now. Mother's finest, man. Okay, Fishbone. I was working for the Goody Mob. Doing the house, CeeLo, Cujo, Timo Goody. And and we did a tour with Goody Mob, De La Soul, and Fishbone. Fishbone. Yeah, they give a wild show. I've seen them several times. Yeah. I was, and I've been in the room with Antonio. They got books. He was in there stamping his books, doing his, man. Fishbone should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if they're not already. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about people like Lakeside and Lake, you know, the whole Ohio. Zap Rogers should be in the Hall of Fame by now, you know, Lakeside. Frankly, I even think someone like the time should get consideration. Come on. Yeah. All of them. Because they were the industry. They were the industry. You know, you got Aerosmith and Motley Crue and all of them. The dark side of the funk music is being overlooked, and you see how these people treat, treat them. Like they never existed. I don't know if you mentioned war. Maybe you did, but I mean. Oh, come on, man. (laughs) Let me go. Don't let me go into my list because I could just tell you all of them, man. And I got all of them. 
average white band. It's, it's easier to say the ones that are in. It's only Parliament, Funky Dog, Earth, Wind & Fire, Sly Stone, James Brown, Prince, Michael Jackson. Izzy Brothers, because of Izzy their Brothers. 60s, because of their 60s, and they, then they moved over to funk. I don't yeah. play none of them 60 records. From I, I just start with three plus three and fight the power. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. That right. Yeah, there's only about, so maybe like eight or something that's in out of... 50 and it's and and you know um i hope to be going to to this uh hall of to the ceremony with richie out in la in november and i wanted to and i you know the last time i saw lester i said lester if i called you up and we did a a, a news conference at the rock and roll hall of fame uh to boycott and, and find out why we're not into it. he said would you he said man just call me i'm ready The Chambers Brothers. That was the first group I saw in Mount Morris Park as a kid. Chambers Brothers. Mandrill. Yeah, I was going to say Mandrill. Okay. Who else I got on here? Rose Royce. Average white man. Even a lot of the ones that we were talking about, like Barcaves, Mays. Graham Central Station. But uh, straight funk, you know, I just I just go for straight funk, man. And uh, Cool and the Gang, of course, you know, rest in peace, Khalees. Rest in peace, Dennis Thomas. They're not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, and um, one of the uh, Cool and the Gang's tour manager used to work for the Commodore. So we all were family. And he's told me they... The Hall of Fame has been promising Cool in the Gang for 20 years to be inducted. Hmm. So what can we do, Scott? What can we do, man, to get them, get some? Well, I, I have my platform here. I keep pushing and hoping somebody's going to listen. We got to go and make a visit. We got to organize a mass funk music visit to Cleveland and get on the front steps and chastise them. But we need Lester. We need Diamond. You know, some we need less. Yeah. Right. right. Some clout. Yeah. Right. You know. Have you ever tried a petition of any kind? Well, I, you know, I, I've been, you know, it's, it's just. And then there's the rock and then there's the funk music Hall of Fame and date. Right. That's 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 the avenue I would go in, get get to that and then have them broadcast it out to the to the world here get tommy you know get all these groups that are still working around steve arrington unmasked one day you know but it's just our people are not built like that you know i i you know um cool you know from cool and the gang they would all come up let's let's just bum rush let's organize a big bum rush to get these people into Cleveland one day and have a mass uh, uh, media event. Why? And just put why. <laughs> and then everybody come up right in front of the Hall of Fame and say, we're going to break down the door. And if we got to break down these doors to get in, we're going to break down the door. But who's going to, who's in the tape, who's, who's in the room making these choices? 
yeah. see the list of the nominees and the and the and the, and the inductees and cool the gangs on there, the Commodores on there as a group, but they all down, you know. It's just a continuation of what's happened previously throughout history, you know. And you know, in my lifetime, just seeing it in the 70s with these groups not getting crossover radio play when they should have and not getting the same considerations not go to youtube and look for live videos of these bands and most of them are impossible to find but the rock groups they all have videos and then they got the shows on axis i see a, a motley show you know they tape it all and yeah. these guys you know i just saw a video with bootsy doing uh um with a symphony orchestra in Cincinnati. Oh yeah. You saw that? Yeah. Yeah. That's that was cool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was rocking. And a, and a young a young female conductor with all the young the youth orchestra playing yeah. all the parts. For that's the a beautiful music. thing, man. That's a huh? beautiful, That's a beautiful thing. Right, you know what I'm saying? Well, there's soldiers that are watching this and will listen to it. Um if you can just help organize something that people can latch on to um i'm sure that plenty will you know yeah well let's let's uh you know let's try to do it together man let's make a you know let's make a concerted effort to you know and i mean listen we can do it in november with richie's induction come out to la they, they put in dolly part in and you heard that she said that i don't even think i should be going in because i'm i'm not really a rock you know so you got people going in that don't even think they should go in and all these deserving bands are being completely overlooked. And, you know, when I, and, you know, to be honest with you, uh, Scott, funk music is black rock and roll. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just black rock and roll, the guitars, the basses, the, 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 the musicianship, the lead singer, they all have their counterparts in white rock. This is the black rock and roll. Well, even, a lot of white rock and roll, like Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, a lot of it is pretty funky. You know? Peter Gabriel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Edgar Winter. Yeah. What? That's one of my favorite. Frankenstein is one of my favorite songs. Tell me, Stuart, if you can only have five funk albums, what five would they be for the rest uh, of time? Well, it would have to be Mothership Connection. Uh, the Brothers Johnsons, uh, either Blam or or Look Out for Number One, Get the Funk Out My Face. Uh, my favorite uh, all-time live recording is uh, Give It Up or Turn It Loose by James Brown, the Black Album. When the Bootsy's first, Bootsy's first, right? Yeah. Give it up or turn it loose. That album, that black album. But just that one song. Just the give it up or turn it loose. That that when when uh when uh Bootsy Catfish. and them yeah. right Catfish Collins and Bootsy and that was first, right? Um Cameo. I could pick three cameo albums. Strange, Candy, Word Up, you know, they all got. Well, uh, Word Up and Candy are on the same one. Okay, so then let's go Word <laughs> Up. Uh, 
Mothership Connection, Brothers Johnson, A Slave, Stone Jam, uh, probably the Commodore's album with Fancy Dancer on it, Hot on the Tracks. Yeah, well, you got five. Definitely have hit five already. So, and those are definitely among my favorites too. So, yeah, yeah, you went right for the the jugular. Yeah, the theory, <laughs> like the top funk level of like all those groups. Brothers yeah. Johnson, Blam, their first record, definitely to me, are their funkiest records. And the ones where Lewis like really gets off. Stomp that that guitar that bass solo on Stomp. You know that's epic. Um, just. Ain't we funkin' now? His bass on that. Been funkin', yeah, man. You know. So he, you know, yeah, heat wave. <laughs> you know, always, yeah, man. I, you know, you can't do five, man. You know, I well, started my. I started Mothership my Connection's funk an easy one though. Yeah, Mothership Connection is just the or oh, the live one or oh, P Funk Live. Yeah. Yeah, P Funk Live. Earth tour. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, what are you what are you up to right now? What's you know. What are you doing, man? Um, I'm doing uh, a rap group, Little Yachty. That's who I'm going to Miami with this weekend, and that's who I'm working for now. The guy that runs the tour for Little Yachty was one of Rick James' first crew members. Does he have a band? Little Yachty? Or just a DJ? Just a DJ. The, the easiest gig in the world. I run yeah. in front of house with just a DJ and just a rapper and two hype men. But our tour manager used to work for Rick. So we have that connection and he knows all of Rick's family. I knew all of Rick's family. Uh, we just saw the Rick James, um, the documentary by his yeah. daughter. Did you see that? Uh, the one on Showtime? Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, but again, you know, that wasn't a true documentary of Rick. Because she well, just used she just used old concert footage that's already been out. She never interviewed, you know, the real band or the real players. One thing I did like about it though was it did give some attention to before he became big. And I didn't know as much about his earlier years as that showed. I got a photo of Rick. When he when he um when he defected to Canada to get out of the draft, he was in a group up there. I got a picture. I, I got a picture. Uh, Hot Lips, a group called Hot Lips. He was like a rock lead singer, right? And one of the guys on that picture has roller skates on <laughs> in the band, right? But that was his Canada before. Because he used to work with Neil Diamond. Neil um Neil Young. Neil Young. Yeah, before Motown. Come on, when he was what, 19 years old? Yeah. So, you know, just to just to keep these guys, you know, I, I just want to be the, the 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 champion to get these guys in the rock and roll hall of fame. You know, that that's kind of do you want to give out your contact info again in case anyone watching or listening to this wants to try to get involved with that cause? Sure, sure. You can catch me on Facebook. I'm under Stuart Gray. Um, my, my Facebook is open to all the public. You see all of my photos. Um, 
My email address is stewmaster1 at gmail.com. If I could have one last tour, one last Sinbad funk music festival somewhere in the world, um, LaPred and I were talking about if Richie did um, come back, then we have 10 shows and then have start, you know, a reunion. You need, you need someone to support it that has money and connections, you know, like uh, Sinbad was able to pull that off. You know, maybe if he can't do it anymore, I don't know, maybe someone like a Kevin Hart or somebody. I'm not yeah, sure. You know, a Magic you know? Johnson or, yeah. you know, somebody like, you know, somebody like that, but you know, it's, it's, yeah. So it takes, and I'm not, you know, and I've always been, you know, on this level, I'm not a um, suit and tie guy, you know, but I wish Live Nation would promote something like that, you know, but again, there's nobody in the room at Live Nation that has any kind of those sensibilities and there's nobody in the Hall of Fame uh, committee uh, voting committee that has those sensibilities until we push through. Now we have to push through and break down the wood and break down the, the, the glass. Yeah. Bust through the door. Hell yeah. So I'm willing to make that trip, you know, and all you funk music fans, um, let's, uh, let's, you know, get some, some, and it's not going to take, but a couple of guys, you know, Lester Trotman would be in my corner. You know, in a heartbeat, Diamond would be in my corner. You know, uh, uh, Cool from Corner Gang. Just take those three guys. Let's go up to let's go up to Cleveland. Let's push. Let's get a, a, a get get a, a media, um, uh, you know, a media push, and invite all the people out and, and set up a press conference and come out right in front of the steps. Get a microphone with a bullhorn right in front of the steps of the of the Hall of Fame and say, hey. Samaya let us in. And yeah, just get some video coverage and get it out to some yeah. channels. You yeah, know? And make and make and make that noise, you know. And that's what I plan to do. Um when I go and see Richie get his induction, and that's what I plan to do. Get on somebody's mic and say, what WTF? What, why, and what? What the funk? Yeah. What the funk, man? And the only person picking up the mantle now is as close as Bruno Mars. Mm. He understands that this is where, you know, Charlie and, 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 and Lester and, and Roger came from, you know? And he's now if, if, if he could, if he could campaign for why these guys aren't in, I mean, they, they just redid love's train, you know, right. the confunction song. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, the manager of the Confunction, she contacted me because I was, matter of fact, Confunction is the first group that put my name on the back of their album as part of the crew. Which album do you know? The, um, uh, the Red Album. Um, Touch? I think I said, which one? Is it Touch? Touch is kind no. of a reddish pinkish color. No. Um, Oh, um, Spirit of Love. Spirit of Love, yes. Spirit of Love album. Got, and then, it's got to be I'm enough on, on that one. Huh? Got to be enough, I think it's on that. And then Slave put my name on the back of the album, the Showtime album. Okay. The slave Road Patrol. We were the Slave Road Patrol. Because you're on Funkintown. Yeah. Right. And I'm on and I'm on Funkintown. We got to have this Funkintown. Funk with the serious chunk. Yeah. Huh? Man. 
So listen, man, thanks a lot again. And uh, peace. Peace to you, man. Take care, Stuart. Thank you, Scott. All right. Thank you, world. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one. We'll